Yeah, I, um, I'm very passionate about this topic I'm about to speak on because it's something that you can always go further into. Like, so no matter how far advanced you are in the Christian life, no matter how holy you are, this is always something that you can learn more about. And because we have, why is that? Because we have an infinite God. So the topic I'm going to talk to you all about is identity. Can you all say identity? Identity. Identity. And our identity, fundamentally, before we're Bob or Jeff or Tim, we're sons and daughters of God, right? And so that's like our baseline identity. But in that, we have an infinite capacity to grow in. Why? Because if we're sons of an infinite God, then we have an infinite capacity in which we can understand that identity because who we are is directly based off of Him, not based off anything that we do or anything that we think or say. Does that make sense? So when Moses went to, went to the Lord and like they're, they're having this encounter in the burning bush, he said, like, what should I tell them or who, who, who am I to go to the, to the Egyptians? And the Lord said, I will be with you that Moses' identity was directly derived from the fact that the Lord was present with him. We have an even greater thing, the Lord being with us. He's our Father. And so our time today is going to be spent diving into who we are as sons and daughters of God and what that means for us. Um, so the first thing about identity is being sons and, daughters, sons and daughters of the Father and living from the Father's pleasure. So what does that mean? That like we can live every single moment of our lives knowing that God is happy with us pleased with us based off of who we are, not out of anything that we do. So whether I go with Riley and murder 20 people, or I come and bring 20 people to Jesus, the Father's actually still going to love me. And I'm still going to be in the Father's love, which is crazy. But it's the reality that like the Father sees us as He sees Christ in the sense that we are one spirit with Christ. Second Corinthians, right? We share one spirit with Christ. And so when we live from this place that like, I already have an A plus on my report card with God. I am his happy thought. The father likes me. I'm able to go out and give that love in ways that I wasn't able to before because I'm no longer trying to do something in order to be someone, but I'm being someone. And from that being flows everything that I do. Um, example, if I'm a SPO missionary, and I'm like, to be a good SPO missionary, I need to bring 20 people to Bible study. I could go out and try to bring 20 people to Bible study, and I may have some success. Or I could like go back to the fundamentals of who I am as a son of God. And because you can't separate identity and intimacy, when I realize the fullness of who I am as a son of God, I'm going to be able to receive the intimacy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and from that intimacy is going to flow the life, the soul of the apostolate, the life and soul of mission. The church teaches in the encyclical Misty Corpus that the mystical body of Christ, that all of the apostolate flows from prayer, which is just a way of saying that like, when we're intimate with God, we are more successful in what we do. Is that making sense? So, okay, so what is intimacy? So intimacy is actually like the very soul, the life breath, the fuel, the engine behind the Christian life. Teresa of Avila would go into ecstasy after the first two words of the Our Father. Why? Because she would get caught up on the word Father. Because her identity directly bled into her intimacy. And so when she knew that she was a beloved daughter of God, 
she was able to enter into an incredible intimacy with the Lord from where she was able to transform an entire Carmelite order, right? The Carmelites are not the same because of what that woman was able to do, but she was only able to do that because of the relationship that she had with the Father. Is that making sense? And so everywhere that you look at, the people who do the most in the church are going to be the people who have the deepest prayer lives. And so the deeper you go with God, the more he's going to be able to do through you. We all love to be loved. We all have a desire for intimacy. Um, And it can be very easy to say, okay, so if I want to do a lot, then I just have to go to the Lord, right? But if we're going to the Lord for power or for production's sake, then we're actually taking what God designed to be like holy and perverting it for our own purposes. Does that make sense? So the Lord in the scriptures calls idolatry adultery, right? Like you hear the prophets talk about talk about that. You guys familiar? And so if idolatry is adultery, then marriage to the Lord is worship, right? So worshiping false gods would be adultery. Worshiping the true God would be marriage. Now, when you take something that's supposed to be marriage, the marital act, and you pervert it by like bringing in your own designs, your own intentions, your own desires with an impure heart, you turn what was holy into something that is like profane, right? And so it's important that like when we do go to the Lord, when we're like, okay, Jesus, I want to be close to you. I want to have this intimate life with you, that we're not going to the Lord to get something from him, but rather we know that we have everything from God and we're living from that abundance. Um, one of the, I think one of the verses that like chapters that can like best encapsulate this mentality is Luke 15 and the parable, parable of the prodigal son. So in Luke 15, the father says some like really powerful things. Um, and one of the biggest is, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And this is backed up elsewhere in Scripture with Paul saying in Romans, we are co-heirs with Christ, right? And then later on he goes, saying, goes on to say, we are co-heirs with Christ if only we share in the sufferings of Christ. So what does this mean? That if we were to, and then Ephesians, every grace and heavenly blessing is ours in Christ Jesus, right? So when we're in Christ, all of heaven is open to us, which is crazy. That like, who needs a miracle in this room? Anybody? Xander, what do you need? Um, What's the miracle? Uh, my uh, mom to be healthy. Your mom to be healthy. When we step into the reality that like everything in heaven is ours, we're able to minister from a place of such abundance that heaven starts to flow. Right? So that's how you can see people like go out on the streets um, and see like crazy, crazy things happen. That's how you see like men and women like minister from a stage and see um, thousands of people come to the Lord is because they're ministering not from their own power but from the Lord's strength because they are in Christ and they realize that every grace and heavenly blessing is theirs, right? But there's a condition. The Lord isn't just going to, because he's a good father, he isn't just going to give his baby a lightsaber and be like, here you go, have fun with it, right? That's a lot of power for someone who's immature, right? What he does is he waits for the mature Christian to develop because he doesn't want them to crumble and get crushed under the weight of his blessing because the Father is always there to do good for us and never to do bad. 
So if we're, not see, if we're seeing a lack in the reality between everything in heaven is ours and the way that our earthly life is played out, it's usually because we need to grow in either maturity or a fellowship with the Lord, right? Does that make sense? So we are co-heirs with Christ if we share in the sufferings of Christ. Suffering and maturity can produce a greater inheritance in our lives that we can see in the world around us. Cool. So, um, when we... Um, when we want, when we realize like we want this inheritance, when we want to step into this life of power, when we want to start walking as Jesus walked in, we realize that we're going to have a greater need um, for intimacy. And the Lord talks about intimacy in a very specific way in Scripture, and He uses the word gnosko. Has you guys heard that before? Gnosko. So gnosko means to know in an experiential way. So the Scripture uses the word gnosko in the same way that it uses the word. Abraham knew Sarah, and then they had a son. Or Jacob knew Rachel, and then they had 12 sons, right? There's an experiential knowing of someone that you can only get through intimacy. And the Lord says, when this is eternal life, that you would know the Father and His Son, right? That like our relationship in heaven is going to be a very intimate knowing of the Lord, and it's that knowing on earth, that intimate relationship with the Lord, that actually produces this deep intimacy and deep inheritance where like our life flows from. So we have identity. Everyone say identity. identity. And this is who we are. And when we know our identity, we can step into our step into intimacy. Everyone say intimacy. intimacy. And this is being with him. And these two are linked. You can't really separate knowing who you are from intimacy because the deeper you know you, who you are, the more you're going to be able to receive his love. And so this intimacy and identity is where gnosko happens. This is where the experiential knowledge of God is going to transform us and our hearts into being able to receive more of who the Lord is. And then we have inheritance. Everyone say inheritance. inheritance. And this is where we receive the power, the anointing, the ability to minister as Jesus did on the earth. But it comes through maturity. Say maturity. maturity. And suffering. Suffering. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, it's not fun to hear, but there's a reality that like the Father isn't going to bless something that's going to hurt us. So if we're not capable of handling a greater power or a greater love or a greater grace because of our character, He's going to wait to give that to us until we're able to carry it. Does that make sense? So how many of you have ever prayed for that? God, I want every person I pray for to be healed. Has anyone prayed that prayer? You've prayed that prayer? Two people. That's okay. It's a big prayer. What were, to, what, what, what were to happen if that were to actually happen? You guys, like, participation, crowd. I'd probably get a little too in my head about it. You get too in your head about it? Like, think about, like, actually worldwide, what would happen? Be a false sense of security. False sense of security? What would happen if, like, every person you prayed for got healed? It was pretty wild. You'd have, like, people within months flying from around the world paying you millions of dollars to, like, You'd have people crowding you. Like, think about Jesus. Jesus was someone who every person, almost every person he prayed for was healed, right? Except when he was in Nazareth. He had people crowding him. You would be, like, crowded 24-7. Your entire life would be examined. Everything that you've ever done would just be peeled open like a book, good or bad. That takes a very specific character to be, 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 
to be able to handle that sort of weight. Does that make sense? Like there's more than just like anointing that comes with gifts. There's also like different pressures, right? To be able to like handle the things that the Lord gives us. Like people would be offering you millions of dollars to pray for their dying relatives out in Zimbabwe. Like that's the reality. Like if you, every, if you were known as the person who every person you prayed for was healed. And so that's a huge weight to carry on your life. That's like you would come to the point where like there's people dying and you can't pray for them all. And you have to choose who you pray for and who you don't, but who you don't ends up dying. That's a big decision to make. That's like the weight and the anointing. That's the weight that the anointing can cause when the Lord blesses us, because that's a blessing to be able to heal every person you pray for. Are you guys getting this? So like the greater the weight, the greater the anointing, the greater our character has to be in order to be able to withstand the Father's blessing. Does that make sense? Okay. So inheritance is a good thing, but the Father isn't going to put something on us that we're not ready to walk in yet. So if we're like, why isn't every person I pray for healed? Well, it's probably because if that were to happen, your character isn't ready to like walk in that. And that's okay. It just means that there's a greater maturity that needs to happen. Um, and then all of this, identity, say identity. identity. Intimacy, say intimacy. intimacy. Inheritance, say inheritance. inheritance. Leads to, who knows it? Abundance. What's that? Abundance. It does lead to abundance. It leads to destiny. Say destiny. destiny. And this is the doing. So this is the doing of where you are living out of who you're called to be. So a lot of times this is where people like to start. They're like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to be a doctor, so I'm going to go to school, be a good doctor, and then I'll, uh, I'll make lots of money, so then I'll have a lot. And then once, once I have a lot, then I'll, I'll be good, and I will be a good dad or a good father. And what they're doing is they're taking their doing, and then they're going into having, and then they're going into their being. And it's totally backwards because in the kingdom and like the Christian life, we live out of who we are and then we know what we have, our inheritance, and then from there we can do. Because the Lord isn't going to ask us to do anything that we don't have the resources to accomplish. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So um, when I know who I am, I'm in relationship with the Father. Angelo, go over there and talk to Tim. Oh, I don't like talking to people, but you told me to do it, so therefore I must... I know that I have the ability to accomplish what you gave me to do. But if I say, oh, I'm going to go talk to Tim so that way I look cool, I'm stepping into something that I may not have the ability to do. Does that make sense? So when we live out of this relationship of being, having, doing, we're able to accomplish far more than if we just try to do things to show that we have something, to show that we are someone. Making sense? Cool. Um, so destiny. Destiny is the doing. Um, all of our ministry, this is, the, this is the ministry. This is where it comes down to like talking to people, praying with them, Bible studies, all this stuff. All of this is the doing. The doing needs to flow out of our intimacy with the Father. All of it. Um, so sometimes that means that you may need more prayer time that day um, in order to step into what you're called to do. So for me, I go out on the streets um, at least every Friday. Uh, sometimes more, and there's a certain level of intimacy that I know I need to have with the Lord if um, it's going to be a productive evening, and productive in the sense that like things are going to get done for the kingdom. 
it's always productive in the sense like, you know, the Lord's moving my heart, things are happening, we're talking to Jesus, things are good. But if like things are going to get done, I know I need to be in a certain spot with the Lord. So Tim and I went out on Thanksgiving and we met a guy named Russell. Um, God shrunk his tumor. He gave his life to the Lord and now he's like showing up regularly so almost regularly, as consistently as you can be on the West Side, um, to, to our New Believers group. But that morning, um, I spent a lot of time in prayer. And the time before was just like a lot of time with the Lord, a lot of hours. And because of that, I was able to live out of this, um, live out of this intimacy, and the Lord, the Lord moved because His presence was with me. Um, now, was I with the Lord so stuff would happen? No, I just like being with Jesus. He's a great guy to spend time with. But when the more time you spend with him, the more things happen. Does that make sense? So Jesus is really good is that he's not going to allow himself to be used like a concubine or a prostitute, but he's going to like draw you in because he's a lover. And so if you're going to him for the wrong reasons, he's going to like love you in that, and then you're going to get stuck there for Jesus instead, and you're going to forget about all the stuff that you came there for. Does that make sense? So bottom of the line, Keep going to Jesus. He'll purify your motives in the process, but try to go to him with the purest heart possible. Um, do, 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 do. How are you guys doing so far? Good. Not too bad. Um, 7.43. How much time do we have? 15 minutes. Okay. Um, So I think a lot of times we can try to like earn the Father's pleasure or we can try to like earn this, um, you are my beloved son with you, I'm well pleased um, because we don't already know that we're, we're loved, right? Um, and there's a reality that like one, when we experience this, like Paul calls it a spirit of adoption, right? From which we cry out, Abba, Father. He actually says that that's proof that we're sons of God. How many of you guys have ever cried out, Daddy God, because that's what Abba means, Daddy. How many of you guys have ever cried out Daddy God? Two, one, two, three. Okay, so according to Paul, we only have three sons or daughters, like, because he says that's the proof. But we have more than that, right? We know by our baptism that we're adopted into the family of God. But the reality is that like, Paul is talking about like, a very real experience thing, where he's like, when you know the Father so much that you call him Daddy, you... That's like proof that you're a son, right? That's what he says like, it is, it is in Romans. Like, this is proof that we know that we are sons. And so the, what Paul is calling us to is calling us to a very real, like, gnosko experiential knowledge of the father as father, as dad. And from that, we're going to be able to live out our identity as sons. Because there's a very different, very different thing between being a son. You guys know when I'm saying son, I'm saying like sons and daughters because we all share in the sonship of Jesus. Cool. Just making sure the girls are on the same page. Um, so when we live our identity as sons, um, that's very different than like just being sons. Because you can be a son and not know you're a son, right? Does that make sense? So there's a lot of Christians out there who are acting like orphans because they don't know how much their father loves them. And what the thing about the Lord is that he came to redeem sons and daughters and not um, just make orphans. You look at Luke 15, parable of the prodigal son. Then he said, a man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So he's acting like an orphan. He's acting like, 
my dad doesn't love me, my dad doesn't care about me. I'm just gonna take the money that I can and go to live on my own because I'm not provided for, protected, or cared for inside the father's house, right? So he's believing all these lies from the enemy that the father doesn't love him, the father doesn't care for him, the father doesn't provide for him, and he's living out of his orphans, but what does Jesus call him? Jesus calls him a son. He said there are two sons. The reality is that like, we can live like orphans even while we're being sons. So our baptism doesn't necessarily make us live out of the reality of who we are. That has to come through our mindset. So then, but what changes our mindset? Well, the father heals part of the orphan spirit in the older son, right? The religious son who has the religious mindset, who's saying like, I did everything right and you still don't love me. Well, he says to him, all that I have is yours, right? So when we come to realize our inheritance, when we come to realize the Father's blessing over us, we can, that can open up our hearts to experiencing the Father's love. And when we experience the Father's love, we're going to start acting more like sons and less like orphans. Um, and this is, this is like important for us in ministry because a lot of times our parents are the ones that disfigure the face of the Father, right? They, we like look up to our parents and that's the role models for Christian living or the role models for like, how to treat people, and they don't always treat us well. Maybe we have great parents, but even they make mistakes. And those mistakes can actually affect the way that we see the Father, right? What we have to realize in ministry is that like, the way we minister is going to affect the way people see the Father. And it's not like shame or blame or condemnation, but the call that like, as Christians, and especially as ministers of the gospel, we always have to be constantly going deeper with the Lord, going deeper into healing going deeper into these areas where we're acting like orphans so that when we come before people, we're not disfiguring the face of the Father, but actually healing their, healing their imagination or their um, visualization of what the Father looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do we go into healing? Um, it requires a lot of vulnerability, but it requires opening up our hearts to the Lord and allowing Him to come in into those places where we may feel like an orphan. Um, so, for example, um, the Lord asked me to do something a few days ago that I really didn't want to do. Um, and I was kind of like pouting about it. I was just kind of like, oh, Jesus, why did you ask me to do this? You know, I don't want to do this. Like we had talked about it beforehand. Like, this is not something that I want to do. And I told him that. And he was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. I was kind of, you know, just like not acting out of like a sonship where it's like, you, you love me so much and you know what's best for me, so I'm delighted to do what you ask of me because everything that you have for me is good. So I'm like, you know, like nodding my head agreeing. And I went to adoration and the Lord, um, I kind of like dropped my, my frustration. I dropped my anger. I dropped my... Um, disgruntledness and allowed him to come in. I, I was very vulnerable with him and I showed him like all these areas where I was like, this is why I don't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And he came in and he loved me. And after that, I was like, okay, sure, I'll do it. Let's go. Because I, I was living out of the Father's love for me. But it takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes a lot of intimacy in the truest sense where like he's a person and he wants us to be real with him. He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be open. And with that openness, vulnerability, he can come in and actually transform our hearts to become more like his. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, 
But then the Father gives us another thing for healing, healing our orphan hearts, healing our orphan spirits so that we can better represent him. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So the, fa- the brother was never dead, but what he was was outside the Father's house. And a lot of times we can live like we're outside the Father's house. That like inside the Father's house, we're celebrated, we're rejoiced in. The Father's saying really good things about us. But a lot of times we live like we don't know who we are or whose we are, and we're just kind of grumpy and mad and pathetic. And we're not living as if like the Father is actively blessing us at this very moment, right? And the Father is saying, we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead. So celebration becomes not just an option, but a necessity um, in the Christian life when we are not, not only just healing others, but allowing the Lord to heal us. Because it says in Zephaniah, the Lord spins over you with reckless abandon. Um, the New American says dance, but like the actual Hebrew is like spins. Like the Father's like spinning in circles over you because he's so excited. So when we allow ourselves to experience the celebration of the Father, like in our hearts, that like the Father's actually like celebrating us right now at this moment, like healing can happen and we can drop more of our orphan hearts and receive more hearts that are living out of our sonship. Um... Any questions on identity, intimacy, inheritance, or destiny? Yeah. What were you saying? You were talking about idolatry. Mm-hmm. Can you repeat? Yeah. So in the Old Testament, the people would worship false gods, and the Lord would send the prophets and say, um, "Why are you committing adultery?" Are you familiar with that, like in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and stuff? And so the Lord is associating false worship to um, unfaithfulness, right? Um, And so conversely, if you were to look at that with like the parallel context of marriage, right? So adultery being, faithfulness being marriage, right? That, That has to be pure worship, right? Not false worship, but true worship. So worshiping God being marriage, um, faithfulness, and then from that context, if you're, if you're worshiping God in that place of intimacy, right, then if you were to come in to worship with an unpure heart, with a twisted heart, then you're taking something like holy, like the marriage bed, and turning it into something like gross and profane. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. yeah absolutely. Adam. Yeah, um, do you have any, like, advice for us about how to, like, know ourselves better? Like, how do you come to know yourself better? Um, it's a really good question. Um, so humility is, Teresa, according to Teresa Avila, is the grace of knowing the truth of who you are and who God is. So we can't know ourselves outside of God when we're made in His image and likeness. So in coming to know the Lord and seeing who he is, we can better understand a revelation of ourselves. Um, Does that make sense? So like when I see God as pure and I know I'm made in his image and likeness, I can come to recognize that I myself am made pure. When I come to know that God is holy, I realize that I am holy in the sense that I share an otherness with creation that sets me apart. Um, The other thing is scripture. Um, Scripture and like actual revelation of of God and like worship and like knowing him are going to be the two biggest things. So um, 
partic um, particularly Ephesians um, and the letters of Paul are probably going to talk about your identity in Christ is the most. So 2 Corinthians says we're one spirit with him. Um, Galatians say that we, um, we actually put on Christ, like we're clothed with Christ. That's, you can spend all day thinking about that, like Christ is my clothes. What? That's, that's crazy. Like, um, and um, Hebrew says we're seated in heavenly places. Like these are all like crazy like bombs of identity that like are just waiting to be unpacked. That we like if we were to step into like just like one of these, like if you're just to like pray into and meditate on the fact that like every grace and heavenly blessing is ours in Christ Jesus, that's just going to blow your mind. Then you're going to be like, oh yeah, Xander does, Xander's mom does need healing. Like, yeah, I have every grace and heavenly blessing in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go pray with her. You know what I mean? So scripture is a huge way to open up the mind. Um, and it says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the word transformed is the same word that the, of the Greek that's like metamorpho, as in metamorphosis, that Paul's actually talking about like the same transformation that like a caterpillar or like a tadpole would go under, that you're actually becoming like a new creature. So when, we're, when our minds are renewed, we actually become transformed in our spirit. Does that make sense? So scripture is a huge way to renew the mind and become more like locked into who we are in Christ. This is a two-parter. Yeah. What's your favorite Bible verse and can you describe me in a Bible verse? My favorite Bible verse? Um, I feel like it changes. Um, Currently. I think right now... Um, It's um, see what love the Father has for us, that we would be called children of God, and yet so we are in First John. Um, that like, he loved us so much to bring us into his family while we were like, actively killing him, you know, putting him on the cross. Um, and you in a Bible verse? Um, you know me well enough. Let's see. Um, I do not call you servants, but friends. We're in, in John 15, where Jesus is talking. I think it's John 15, where he's saying, like, I've told you everything that the Father's told me. Um, I believe the Lord is just taking you from a time of, like, service to God, where, like, you're doing things for him in sort of, like, an abstract, like, way. And the Lord's taking you in a time of, like, friendship, where he's actually telling you why he's having you do certain things and where he's leading you. And it's a greater... Um, vulnerability on his part as he leads you in this relationship. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other questions? Andrew? Any question for you? Cool. What was, um, what's up? No, I, I, was just, I thought everyone was going to raise their hand and say, who's, all right, me next. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just the sense that I was getting for this group um, was that the Lord really wanted you all um, to go back to your why um, and just really make sure, like, really like allow Him to come in and purify that if it was anything that was outside of Him. Does that make sense? So like, um, for 
for me at Urban Encounter, like my why is for like, for souls to come to know him um, because I know that consoles the heart of Jesus, right? That Jesus loves souls. Um, but sometimes when I'm out on the streets, it can actually just be like, my why can, my, in my heart can actually just be like, okay, just talk to this person because I know I need to talk to them. Does that make sense? And the consoling the heart of Jesus or trying to love Jesus can be forgotten. And that's where ministry can like really tank. And you end up like having a crappy conversation because you're just doing it to talk to them instead of to love Jesus. Does that make sense? And what I really felt like the Lord wanted for this group was just to like go back to the why. Like, why am I here? Why am I following him? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And are there times where I fall out of that why? And where are the times that I fall out of that why? And how can I get back to it? Because if we stay in our identity, we are always going to be doing it out of the love for God because we're just so in awe of how much love he's pouring out on us. But it's when we start getting caught up in the how much do I have or how much am I doing that we can lose that, that initial why of just doing it out of love for Jesus because he loves us. Because we love because he first loved us.